dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today on the podcast, I enjoyed a riveting conversation with some of my wine friends. In 2023, there were a lot of winery buyouts. It seemed like another smaller brand was being gobbled up by the big players such as Gallo or Treasury every week. We questioned if this was a good thing or a bad thing. Plus, what would we do in that situation? Would we give up our brand? And if so, what would we do with all of that money? If you listen to the podcast, you notice that many ask for Patreon. We do not plan on doing this, but we do ask you to support the podcast by leaving a review. It takes only a few seconds of your time, but means so much to the show. The next best way to support Exploring the Wine Glass is to tell your friends. If you enjoy the podcast, your wine-loving friends will too. Finally, don't forget to head to the website exploringthewineglass.com to read the blog, sign up for the newsletter, so you can keep up on all things happening. Blancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Clotheron specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so in the news, we are constantly, it is almost a daily, daily uh, news brief of some small winery uh, being acquired by the big guys. And I am kind of tired of seeing all this. And like the latest one and so close to home is the Dow acquisition for $1 billion. Uh, Oh, I didn't hear about that one. $1 billion. Um, Yes. And so (laughs) I can't even fathom that amount of money. But so I just wanted to... Uh, so it was Gallo, Gallo, I believe. Yeah. Yes, it was Gallo. Um, well, it's going to be one of the three. Yes, it was Gallo. Um, that's like the one I didn't put on on my list. I think. Uh, no, I am sorry. It was Treasury Wine Estates. Treasury. Oh, that's fine. That's so right. Treasury Wine Estates purchased on October 31st. They announced it was official or October 30th. It was official. Treasury Wine Estates acquires Dow for $1 billion. And it um, it did wow. take on uh, Dow had a lot of debt. So they're not physically getting a billion. That billion encompasses okay. taking, you know, yeah. covering that debt. But is that everything? Um, Does that include the brand, the vineyard, everything? Okay. Yes. What I'm not 100% sure is, so Dow has, you know, you could see the writing on the wall that this was going to happen uh, because of how Dow started producing the wine and where you could start seeing it. So, you know, Dow was always this luxury brand. And then all of a sudden, Dow was in Costco, and Dow was in Bevmo, and you know, and these the brand kind of started diverging into these different, or morphing into these different things. Um, I am I do not know, but I can't imagine that they, um, or maybe they did sell the patrimony, which was their high, high, high luxury, right? I think they were, you know, so proud of it was the first, I don't know, $300, $400 bottle of wine in Paso. Um, and then they also have uh, Soul of the Lion. And mm-hmm. that one is dedicated to their father. So I don't know if that was um, included in the acquisition. Uh, you know, uh, what I found interesting was 
Every other acquisition that you see the write-up about, the press release, it always says terms unknown or not mm-hmm. disclosed. But this was, bam, $1 billion sale. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys, well, you know, before we get into that, I should let you guys introduce yourselves. So Melanie, uh, you know, why don't you go first? Give, uh, give the listeners a little bit of info about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Melanie Ofenlock and I run uh, Dallas Weinchuk, uh, which has been around for about 13 years and um, just love telling the story of wine. I'm Debbie Chief. Because nobody as- knows you on my podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> and I'm sure I forget something uh, along the way. I'm uh, I'm known as the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm a certified specialist of wine, a wine location specialist in Port Anne Champagne and a wine cherry specialist author of a book, Tapping the Hudson Valley, Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries, Visiting the Hudson Valley Wine Region. I co-host Wine for Bet Street with Lori, and I'm chairwoman of the Hudson Valley Wine uh, and Spirits Competition and whatever. I yeah. Oh, I'm partnering up Trio North Wildwood, restaurant in North Wildwood, New so Jersey. So we are, we are covering three time yeah. zones here. So this is, this is good. This is good. So now, so what do you, when you read this, uh, I'm just, you know, I, I'm guessing you read it somewhere that Dow was acquired. What, what went through your brain? What, you know, what made you think of, you know, wow, what's going on here? Debbie, you want to go first? You can go first, Melanie. Um, well, having, um, been there for, uh, the last, uh, WWET conference um, and having been hosted by Dow uh, that last night, um, you know, it definitely was a, it was a a level of luxury. And I always question when the bigger companies, not everyone, but uh, Gallo, Constellation, you know, um, you know, Victory, what are they going to do with all of those assets? What is it going to end up? Will the, will the brand stay true? Because I, I work in marketing as my day job. And will the Dow that I went to that last um, dinner at and the Dow that I may visit again, how different will they be? Yeah. And that that is a very true question. And one of the things I've noticed is some of, some of the acquisitions specifically state somebody, some, you know, in some way they're staying on. Mm-hmm. And well, I think you know what? for how long, because, right. because here, here's, I, I look at this, you know, two ways. One, they don't have a um, exit strategy, you know, so they're, you know, and this is just in general. Um, so they're older and they don't have an exit strategy. So when a big conglomerate comes up, it's okay. You know, they may or may not have family members that are interested in, in, in the business. Right. So this might be their, their way out. And then, then the other part of me looks at it is that it's losing its identity because eventually, you know, it's the winery, regardless of what winery it is, it could be Dow, it could be Frank family, it could be Rombauer. Now they're owned by big conglomerates. Mm-hmm. So it, it, Maybe it's good for the staff because it opens the staff up to maybe possibly more benefits for them. But does it lose the identity of who and what the winery was and that personal touch that the winery had with its clientele? You know, and and that was that's an interesting concept, Deb, because I didn't even like think about that. You know, people who work in tasting rooms uh, typically are not really making a lot of money. Right. They're they're relying mostly on tips and selling club memberships to get a bonus with each club membership that they they sign up and things like that. And when a conglomerate comes in and purchases it, I I mean, I have no idea. Are now are they, you know, now that I'm an employee, I'm not an am I no longer an employee of of Dow, am I employee of Treasury? I would think no. Treasury, but that goes like beyond the tasting room. It goes to the vineyard workers. Yeah, it goes right. to the winemaking. 
So, you know, are they, you know, you know, is it, is it better for them where they're, they're able to get more benefits? Are they getting a 401k? Are they getting health benefits that they may or may not have, have been getting before? A lot of times tasting room staff, you know, is retirees. Um, yeah, they, they down here and in the Hudson Valley, a lot of times they are, but yeah. Really? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. A lot in a lot of the tasting rooms, they're they're retirees that have retired and this is their second job. Not all the time, but okay. well, you yeah, know, in other places, in other places they're not. They're people that want to get into the wine industry and this is where they're starting. So it opens them up to do they get benefits? Do they get, you know, 401k and, and all that stuff? Because a small mom a smaller winery, boutique winery, like yourself, Laura, you wouldn't be able to give somebody health benefits in a 401k. I can't even afford to have somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind, give them benefits and all of that stuff, right? I mean, you know, so, that's why I you know, live in my tasting room, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But I, you know, I think it's interesting because you can look at someone like a Jackson family um, and they actually keep, the culture of the wineries maintain their own people, their own identity. Um, and there's, there's just the, the thing that I think they're bringing to them is more money, um, you know, more benefits, um, the ability to, um, you know, really go out and, and make a lot of the uh, budget, you know, things that they've wanted to do. And I see that being a good opportunity, obviously, um, versus when someone comes in and, you know, rips, basically uh, replace, rips and replaces, uh, you know, a, a great tasting room with a prisoner tasting yeah. room. Yeah. And right. you're just like, what happened? How do you, you know, how do you justify that? Right. So yeah. um, you're talking about like the, like the Jackson who does keep it versus uh, yes. per se the the wonderful company who wait I remember here in Paso Justin um we you know Mike and I loved Justin wines we loved going there the ambiance was a rustic tasting room it was we loved being in there and then we actually had no idea that it was purchased by the wonderful company and then we went to go visit one time and it was all metal and bright and shiny and the prices went through the roof and it was a it was a completely different dynamic being in there like that um so do you think that they were going after different um market share different demographics oh, absolutely 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 they they went to go become a luxury brand is what okay. mm. You know, um, you know, it just, it, you know, so I, I understand that concept of, of, are they going to keep the people on, but so being, you know, negative Nelly here or whatever, if, uh, do you have, do you have or maintain that passion for your business if it's no longer your business? Right. So, oh, right. So, and I'm not, I'm not saying Frank family doesn't. Right. But I'm just, you know, like they were a smaller winery, their purchase, they did stay on, I believe. Right. They did. They did. So, but now I've got paid all of this money. Do I still have that same passion? And like, I can walk away whenever I want because it's no longer mine. And yeah. Um, but Usually there's, um, there's a contract, um, that, that usually it's a certain amount of years that the key people have to stay on. So you have some of that, but you see how quickly, um, people often leave wineries and, and, you know, especially winemakers, and then all of a sudden they have their own brand. Right. Um, so I think there's, you know, a little more of that I, I've seen lately um, going on. I'm, and I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see they're still following their passion. And Right. Um, so and I, I, I want to also look at, you know, the quality. Right. 
was, and I'm going to give this example, and I, I don't want to really put names into it, but there was a winery in Sonoma that I really, I really love their Sauvignon Blanc. And what, what they did was they added a little Viognier to it and it really, really, Ooh, that's a really shined. And they were purchased by Vintage Estates. And I recently got their Sauvignon Blanc and it's, now I know, you know, vintage variation you know, mm. and stuff like that, but it just wasn't the same, mm. like huge discrepancy. So, mm. you know, how do you maintain the quality of what that small boutique winery was when you get, you know, bought out? Yeah. Right. And, and that's what, when, when these big companies come in and then they, they don't necessarily in their business plan, want it to stay, you know, small, they, right. So they, they're going to want to expand, expand. And when you expand certain things, I I was just really disappointed in, you know, so are you, will you try the next vintage or are you done because it would, because of that? Like it could be, so what Sauvignon Blanc vintage. I wouldn't, I wouldn't order the Sauvignon Blanc again. What? So was that a 2022? I can't remember. It was, this was last year. Oh, last year. Okay. Yeah. So, so it might've been a 2021. 2021, right. So 21. are you done with that wine completely or when they release a new vintage, would you try it again? I'm not sure. To be honest with you, I'm not sure. That's a big leap. You know? Because I, I have been drinking that for, for decades. So yeah, and for so, a very long time. So and it changed of, drastically. Okay. Okay. So for decades, it kind of was a consistent. Yeah. You know, okay. it was consistent, you know, swayed a little de- depending on, you know, the weather and all the other right, issues right. that go into, into harvest. But this was a huge, huge. Oh, wow. And was mm-hmm. it this, do you know if it was still that splash of Viognier in there? I do like, not did, know. Okay. So I they might've, they might've right. changed the whole they, profile. But they changed something. Something. That was just like, I always went after that wine and right. I got, you know, half a case and I'm like, oh, something's right. <laughs> yeah. Something's Christmas not right. <laughs> <laughs> Holiday gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Put it on a Thanksgiving but, day but table. But you know what? So, so just, just you know that that happens. People, you know, they might have gotten a new winemaker, and the new winemaker wanted to put his twist on right. something, right? You right. know, his twist was not, you to know, palate. Exactly. Right. Um, so there, I I found uh, that in the first half of twenty twenty three there were 11 notable acquisitions. Wow. As opposed to eight in 2022. Hmm. So you have eight in 2022, and now you have 11 in just the first half of 2023. So it seems that this is the trend. This is the direction that, it's going in is that these little um, boutique wineries or small production wineries are being consumed. So we just had Rombauer that was purchased by Gallo. Lori, would you say that that is a small boutique winery? I mean, they were massive. They were everywhere. That is true. That is true. Why can't I see you, Nick? That's because I got in from a really rough day at work and I'm in my jammies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just got home. Okay. All right. You're and all Nick, right. you you come in on my screen as Melanie. Melanie. That, yeah. That's it's my very job. odd. So let me see if I no. can change that. No, 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 no. I all know right. why that happened. Because uh, when I sent when I sent the email that said we're ready to chat. Uh, I just pulled up Melanie's invite. I'll just change to Nick so that uh, if I I start asking people in the industry, nobody knows my last name. (laughs) Yeah. 
but I can't, we can't see Nick or anything. So I just was confused. I didn't even know you were sitting there. I admitted uh, Melanie again. I, I didn't. <laughs> so it was like the voice from beyond. <laughs> well, and I'm sorry that I missed the first part because I have some fairly strong opinions, probably to your chagrin, Lori, because I, I find some of these acquisitions to be just really smart. Even the, the Frank family, they were okay. widely distributed to begin with. I mean, they were small, but they were widely distributed anyway. So, okay. you know, no one was going to be able to afford to take these over when they decided to retire. So that that actually Debbie had like talked about that yeah. about no exit strategy. Um, and yeah. so the acquisition uh, being a benefit because of there's no exit strategy. Um, but so Nick, just um, give a little quick brief bio of who you are, because you actually come at this conversation from a different angle, from a different perspective. I do. So my name is Nick. I'm the marketing director for a medium-sized wine company based here in the Napa Valley. Um, I've been in the industry for now over a decade. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I've worked for very small production wineries and I've worked for large international wineries. So it's I see things slightly differently. And so let, let's go back to that Frank family. It if they weren't acquired, they would have just rode off into the sunset and Frank family would no longer be on the shelves. Is that what you're saying? That could very well be the case because again, if you don't have that exit strategy, if you don't have somebody like a multi-generational family that's willing to take it on, um, what else are you going to do? You're going to sell, but you're going to sell at a value that people are, uh, or another company is going to purchase you for. So a Frank family that had wide distribution, or at least here in California has a great amount of distribution, they weren't going to sell to mom and pop investors that were just maybe coming out of Silicon Valley that might have quite a bit of money, but you know, um, they, they went for the highest price. And I mean, who wouldn't? Right. Right. I think it's um, like Everly Winery, for example, um, they do they have a succession plan that includes their employees because they don't have kids. And I always thought when Gary was telling us about that, that that was such an, an interesting and innovative way to you know reward the people that have, that have been there for you and clearly kind of creating that Everly family legacy as well. I love that. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I, and I know several Everly employees, uh, like including the winemaker who I think is the boat. I absolutely adore him and his last name is Everly and they're not even related. So I think that's hysterical. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but uh, that I didn't know that that's, I'm going to have to ask Chris about that. That's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. He's a, Gary is a, People have opinion, you know, everybody has their own opinion. Um, I absolutely adore the man. I, I think he is, his his heart is one of the biggest out there. And is he's, he's just a jolly guy that really has Paso in his heart. And that right there just, you know, elaborates on that, that, that that's, you know, what type of person he is. That's interesting. I, I had no idea he did that. Well, it was, yeah, it was a cool story. Um, and it's not one that he obviously broadcasts as well, right? Because he just happened to be, I was happened to be in the office when he was telling us the story. No, yeah, no, I, I don't think that's, I don't, I've never heard that. So it's not, it's not uh, a typical conversation, I guess, or something he advertises. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I, Debbie, ahead, to your yeah. point, the company that you mentioned that acquired that uh, winery in Sonoma, I won't repeat their name, they ruin everything they touch, so it's fine. It just... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't name their name. No, but the, the company that bought them, the bigger company. Okay, got it. Got everything. It. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so sad. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you read the headline and your heart just skips a beat. And you're like, well, there goes that winery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then grocery store shelves are lined forever. 
So without re-mentioning their name, why do you, so are people just selling just to get the money then? If they know that they've got the Grinch touch, I mean, is it just to get, I can sell it and like, I, not that I ever expect, you know, to get my billion dollars for Dracaena wines, um, but I wouldn't want to sell it to, if I was selling it to somebody, I'd want it to continue at least with the, the passion or at least the story of it to continue on. So if, you know, if they ruin everything they touch, I don't, I don't think I'd want to sell to them, but I guess sometimes money talks, right? That's, that's hard because there's probably so many different drivers from how health to um, finance to succession. So I, th- I think it's a hard, um, hard one to answer. Yeah. And, and once you sell, you have no say. So if you see your former baby going in a direction that you don't agree with. Right. You don't have, you don't have a say. Yeah. Right. I you mean, know? I, I just think about our, our house in New Jersey, that backyard was filled with briars. Like, and Mike and I, well, Mike, Mike ripped out all of those briars, but I designed the backyard. It was our blood, sweat, tears that, you know, planted each of the new trees and designed the waterfall and built the gazebo and created this haven for us to be in. And we sold it. And the people who purchased that house uh, ripped everything down, killed. There was this beautiful oak tree in the center of the property that I designed the entire yard around. And they cut it down. They took out the waterfall. They took out the gazebo. They put up like, and I'm an athlete and a base, you know, softball player. They put up a batting cage where, you know, I, and it kills me. Like I can't go back because it hurts so much to see what they did with this yard. I can't imagine Dracaena wine, you know, I can't, I can't imagine. Well, it's the same, it's the same feeling. Yeah. You know, um, in, in the Hudson Valley, there's um, a woman who sold her winery to another winery and they came in and they tore up a bunch of the, the vines. Um, she's still living on the property. And, mm-hmm. and uh, cause that was in her agreement. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, she's upset by stuff. And I tell her, you can't be upset. It's not yours anymore. Yeah. You have to step away. You might live on the property, but you have to step away. Now, I'm curious, though, as to how many of these actually did stay, you know, did they stay on? So, um, you know, Constellation uh, has purchased domain in June. They purchased domain curry, uh, in Napa, Nick, I don't know if you're, I I've never heard of them. Um, but they're supposed to be a super luxury brand in Napa. Um, I've actually never heard of them. I'll have to look them up. Surprising. You know, um, they were purchased and then prisoner, uh, and, uh, in, I mean, this is old news now, but it was such big news. Uh, Booker Winery, right, was purchased by Constellation, but Eric Eric um, has maintained a portion of it that, so he's he's kind of like diversified or, you know, divided what he's got and they didn't purchase everything and he's still there on, you know, for set amount of years with that, um, which- I think, goes- I think in these contracts when they purchase some, they stay on for a certain amount of time. I think in some situations, but I don't think that's true in every situation. So I think it depends yeah. what they're buying. You know, yeah. are they buying a brand or are they buying? 100%. Yeah. I mean, going back to Rombauer, it was a very smart move for Gallo, which is largely a Cabernet house, even at their size, to diversify and bring in Chardonnay because that is what, it is known for Chardonnay and Zinfandel. Um, given the following that Ron Bauer has, they're not going to change a thing. 
I mean, that would be just terrible marketing. And so it goes same for Dow, same for, you know, many of these larger companies that have a very strong in-market following, they stay the same. Yes, you're true. Like, if could you imagine if Gallo came in and changed Ron Bauer to a stainless steel shard? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. So here's, here's a flip question. What do you think the constellation, the treasury, treasury, the gallows? I mean, they're at, are they after world dominance? You know. <laughs> yes, yes, they're after they're after shelf real estate and land. Okay. And now I am not one hundred percent sure about the other wineries, but Gallo is not only acquiring wineries; they are acquiring actual. Uh, vineyards, right? So it 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 was Gallo who who um, purchased Stagecoach, right? Stagecoach Vineyard, who you know, famous famous um, vineyard. Um, so I I don't know if other other uh, I'm looking at my little notes here. Of you know, are are they the only ones who? Like, what's that concept for purchasing stagecoach? Is that are those grapes going to be going into the wineries they've purchased, or is that to continue? A lot of people purchase stagecoach, it's a very well known name, and so you know, it's a great buy for them to use in their own products, but also, you know, people are sourcing fruit at high amounts. Um, the one thing I'll say about Gallo is they have really great viticulturalists. Um, they really do care about their vineyards, um, just knowing people who work for them, um, both on the winemaking and the vineyard side. Um, and so whenever they do take over land, I mean, just know that it, it is getting taken care of, like, real deeply, like, with love. Oh, no, I know that. But I also know people who had contracts, some of the smaller uh, boutique people who had contracts with, you know, I'm getting a ton of stagecoach so that I can make a sto- stagecoach wine and they lost their contracts. Mm. So I don't, there it is. They're, they're, they're pushing out the little guy of the people who had contracts. I haven't heard that, but I mean, that very well could be the case. I mean, prices for fruit in Napa just keep going up every year. Right. So I mean, regardless so of contact, who's buying the fruit or who owns the vineyard. And so if somebody can't afford the fruit anymore, I mean, unfortunately, that's just a fact of making wine. So maybe, right. Maybe it wasn't they lost their contract. Maybe it was they couldn't afford. And now a word from our sponsor. Dracina Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. And I know I sound really cold and negative, like I'm for the big man, but I mean, again, I've worked for very small producers. And so I do love the wine industry and I, you know, I do support the small family wineries. (laughs) I know you do. Um, But so I don't know. I, I mean, does that, so Melanie, Deb, like, would it, would you not purchase wine anymore just knowing that it was purchased by purchased by you know a larger company 
I don't think I'd make a blanket decision, but I probably would go back and, and taste if I happen to have bottles uh, kind of before and after. I'd be very curious to to see what was going on, but I probably would not um, renew a wine club if everything had changed. Oh, okay. That that's interesting. I didn't even see. This is why I love this conversation. I didn't even like think about something like that. The wine clubs, like I mean, do the people who belong to you know Booker or uh, like Jackson, and this is one in in uh, British Columbia, Blue Grouse. I never heard of them, but like I, they're relatively small. I I it looked like when I was looking them up. If you're a member, do you now get a different sense of what your membership is like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll give you, um, I belong to a wine club in, in Napa, a winery, small producer for years. Um, I mean, we're going back to like 1996 and I was up there and I liked their label, joined their wine club, got to be very friendly with, with two of the owners husband and wife and then there was the winemaker and it was actually his vineyard and stuff you know it was his family vineyard whatever but they ended up selling um and i'm not going to say who they sold to because that'll give away the winery um but sold it to one of these big guys um or uh they sold it to um somebody that was in the beer industry okay and it didn't have the same value to me Mm-hmm. as it did when it was owned by the other three. So I dropped from their wine club. See, but I do think uh, that brings up a whole other topic, I think, of, you know, you can, a lot of wine purchase is by experience, not yes. necessarily the palate. But right? when you have a small boutique winery or, you know, a mid-sized winery that, that you go to, that you like, that you become members of the wine club, there is some type of connection somewhere. There's a special (laughs) feeling. Um, It's about the culture, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And whether you're present in that town or when you come to visit what you get. Um, And if it is not maintained by uh, who they get, purchased by and it's a big conglomerate and that feeling is is gone and that person's like missing missing the connection you know I mean you have to maintain that connection so how would the winery that just got bought out maintain that connection and I think we we saw with the pandemic um you know how how the smaller wineries struggled because they I wouldn't say a lot of them were the most tech literate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they had to figure out how to really, you know, bring people together and build that culture. Yeah. That also goes back to Debbie, what you were saying before is if, if this large company comes in, are the people, are the people who are in the tasting room still the same people, then wouldn't you still have the same dynamic in that tape? You know, do they still have the same attitude? Because that can change as well. Yeah, well, that can change even if they're not. Con- yeah, <laughs> that, not yeah, con- yeah. But you know, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I think to uh, Mike and I years and years ago went to a wine wine region. I won't say which. Went to a wine region, and we came back with several cases of wine because we had a great time. The, mm-hmm. The people in the tasting rooms, the the views, all of that stuff, we had a great time. And, you know, this was years ago. So very young in our wine, you know, journey. And we came back with a couple of cases. And then when we started drinking the wine in the house, we didn't like the wine. <laughs> it was like, it just wasn't good wine, you know? Um, and we ended up gifting them away, you know, (laughs) you know, giving them. It's funny. I touched on that yesterday in my seminar, but yeah, it's about the experience. Yeah, Yeah. it is about the experience. And I think, you know, like Nick saying, they're not going to touch Rombauer. Rombauer is going to still remain Rombauer. So whatever, 
whatever the experience is that Rombauer gives is probably going to stay the same. Well, that's in the bottle, but is it the same in the tasting room? Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are certain companies um, that probably value the previous culture more than others. And I've seen companies get acquired where I've done the same. I've dropped the club because I didn't like the corporate feel of how, excuse me, of how it became. But again, um, sometimes that acquisition can offer more benefits to its members. They, you know, it adds human and human resources and financial resources that maybe the mom and pop couldn't do. And so it's a benefit for, you know, the consumer. It can go either way, just depending on the, the larger company that purchases it. Have you ever worked for a winery that got acquired? Yes. And I left and I moved to Napa. So the uh, the family that I worked for in Oregon and Washington, they sold to a company that I did not um, agree with their values, how they ran their company, et cetera. And so I, I moved. Um, I've always worked for privately owned or family owned companies, um, whether they're mid-sized or small. And you know, that's something that I value. And if I was being acquired by, say, a Gallo or a Treasury, I mean, it is looking at, you know, their internal company culture, what they can bring to the table as to whether I would stay or not. And when when that company got acquired, like, did you like have a sit down? OK, we're being a- acquired by XYZ starting so, tomorrow. Yeah, so. Funny story was we all knew that they were being acquired because the family wasn't smart enough to print all their contracts privately. And so they were all coming out on our company Xerox machine um, and they were touring people around. So before it ever happened, we all knew. Um, Yeah, it was pretty funny. So we forced the 25th anniversary party. We forced the family to have it. knowing that they were selling it was kind of bad to say but uh and when i had already accept knowing that they were selling i had applied already got my job in napa um when they came on they called everybody to the conference room announced that they were selling we none of us act surprised um and basically everybody had to fill out new work applications and so forth. It was almost like you were fired from the old company and being rehired into the new one. Wow. Yeah. They, they, they were awful people in my opinion. They still, own, <laughs> they still own that. They still own the winery up there and they, I, they tried to change things. Um, and we had a very strong, uh, wine club following and people who knew the brand. And so they went from what, when they changed the name, they changed it back to the winery name because people stopped going. Oh, okay. So there's the loyalty to the, to the brand. Exactly. And when a company acquires a, a smaller winery or a mid-sized winery, they need to be aware of that because, you know, to, to just up and change the the name or the overall feel, it's it's not a good move. Yeah. Well, why? What would be the reasoning of changing the name? Like, I'm if I'm purchasing Stagecoach, let's just go with Stagecoach, right? Or Dow, or Booker, or you know, whatever Han, or whatever. I'm purchasing them because they've done something that has made the public aware of them. Otherwise, there's no value of me purchasing them. So why would I, what's the logic of changing the name? I don't know, but there was a winery in the Hudson Valley. They sold and the people came in and they bought the name and they came in and you know who I'm talking about. And like shortly after... Um, I interviewed them and then they told me that they're going to keep the legacy brand of the wine, 
but they were changing the name of everything. And they did. Do I know how it's going now? No, I don't. Um, you know, because I haven't been back to interview them because there were some other issues. I'm not going to go into it. Um, like, I just don't know. I mean, but, you would never, I, I would never think to change Stagecoach Vineyard. It's got this, you know, equity, bow down. Equity, We're not yeah. worthy, right? Yeah. There's someone who spent a lot of hours, a lot, a team that spent a lot of time um, making that what it is today. Sure. And as as a marketer, I, I just think how expensive it is to change every single thing with a new name. Um, yeah. so I totally agree with you. But not only that, it's creating that whole new following. I mean, you might as well just start. You're starting from scratch again. Yeah. There's there is a certain part you're, of people you're going to retain, but I would think there'd be a. a a good drop off, you know, just because people like familiar things and now all of a sudden it's not familiar anymore. And what are they doing? And what are they doing in in terms of not just their wine club, but their, their winemaking and their whole overall appearance? I, I don't know. I like, I'm thinking, first of all, I can't even imagine, you know, when Deb was talking about, are they trying to create this dynasty, the, you know, a a gallo dynasty or a treasury dynasty or whatever. Um, Where, where are they thinking there? Like what, like Nick, what is their concept of when is, is there enough is enough? Is there, I'm just going to keep Pac-Manny in the pellets. What? Probably depends if they're public public or private and what they promise their shareholders. Now, that's a good point, Melanie. Or see now, I don't Gallo do anything like or private. That. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna Gallo say. Like, is guys, yeah, Gallo is I private. Con- I think Constellation is public. The I think that I think Constellation is public. Yes, and Gallo, I believe, is yeah private. And Gallo, like the whole family. I mean, they all have different parts that they're all in different. You know, which again is kind of a testament, even though it's a behemoth, it's the largest yeah. in the world. It's still a family-owned, family-run company. Yeah. They're all very much engaged on a daily basis. Yes. And Jackson family is actually still just family. Exactly. Yeah. And they, and they, you know, every winemaker that has been acquired by them has always told me that they they keep the culture. They just pour in resources. I've, I've so heard I- that too with Jackson family. That, that. So- is Jackson family just trying to help the wine? I mean, obviously it's to make more money, but what's, why is that a different philosophy? You know, what, what's their end game versus a treasury or a constellation end game? I can probably answer the Jackson side, just having met several of them and, and seeing how involved they are in the community and to making the world a better place. Um, I know it sounds marketing like, but they really do um, seem to want to do good for the world. Of course, they're, they're trying to make a profit, but they're they're looking at areas and wineries um, that share some common philosophies. And that's oh, what okay. I've seen in my experience. So they're purchasing, you think they're uh, I don't want to say more conscientious, but conscientious about which ones they're acquiring, where some uh, of the other ones are just like, oh, this is prime real estate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's that's what I've seen. I mean, I've seen from Gallo. I, I know someone who's worked at Gallo. I've known him for a very, very long time. And when I first met him, I mean, we were in a restaurant and he was showing me the um, soil that uh, McMurray Vineyards, you know, the grapes were grown, you know, the vines were planted in. So they do keep everything separate and, you know, you know, market it each individual as, you know, its own. So, you know, I can't, you know, but it's such a huge company. You know, and 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 going back to you know Roundbauer, they're keeping Roundbauer as Roundbauer. They just made the investment, so I think that's what they do is invest and and also import as well from from um, 
entities that are overseas from what I've seen that I've, I've been privy to. So Jackson Family Wines is 40 brands, or that's what I read, yeah. is it about 40 brands? Are they a small guy in this big pond of, of acquisition companies? What do you think, Nick? No. Um, they're within the, uh, probably the top five largest wine companies in the world, or at least in the U.S. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't call them small. But again, no, I meant in compared to like how many how many on average do you think Gallo has or Treasury has? Or oh well, Gallo has hundreds of brands. Okay, versus, yeah, so, yeah okay. so slightly different. Right, just big for the United States, but, but. And it's funny. Like I can go into a liquor store, or I can be with someone, and I can say, "Oh, that's a Gallo brand." You know, they'll be say, "Oh, look at this wine. This wine is great." I'm like, "That's a Gallo brand." <laughs> Yeah, really? I can't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't pay attention enough, I guess. <laughs> well, I've had a good Gallo educator. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I just kind of thought that this was an interesting, I, the other thing I thought was interesting is that every other one, which I think I said earlier, every other one was undisclosed for the amount mm-hmm. and the Dow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, but I have no, <laughs> I have no idea what the other ones are, you know, to compare it to. Um, I know uh, Eric Booker, he is hysterical with the fact that he will never state what he got um, when he was acquired. And people have tried over and over and over again to get him to say, how much he got and that you know like well is it five zeros is it six zeros is it seven zeros is it eight zero you know like doing things like that and he out you know he refuses to acknowledge what it is and i say kudos to him because Mm -hmm. it's his bank why why is it known but i'm curious as to why this one was so out there of how much it is is it because it's you know are these other acquisitions you know like I'm whipping out a number. Are these other acquisitions like 400 million? And now we're talking a billion. So that's such a big difference. Why is this one acknowledged how much it is? Maybe it was printed on the Xerox machine that everyone can see. (laughs) 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 Well, again, I, I think, you know, obviously publicly traded company, they disclose it, but, you know, Dow, I, because going out in the market, doing market research, surveys, uh, working with distributors, Dow's everywhere. Dow is everywhere. It is worth $1 billion. I mean, what they will do to the brand and the amount of real estate that they will get for it, it, it's worth it. That's why it's so, you know, but some of these privately owned companies like the Gallows of the world, they don't have to disclose. So that's why, I mean, it could be bigger than that with some of the acquisitions they've made. Oh, okay. But there's other wine, there's other ones that have been, you know, Treasury has purchased other ones and we don't know what it was, what it was cost. Treasury owns Frank Family, Treasury owns BV, Sterling, Behringer, Stagsleep. And those, I couldn't find what those sold for. That could be a, a family decision too, um, whoever owns it. Right. And guys, I'm so sorry. I have to hop. But Yes. Um, well, we were, I was going to wrap it up. You. We always try to keep it to great. just about an hour. But thank you, Melanie, for oh, coming on. Thank you. And it was Absolutely. so good to see great you. Great to see you guys. Great to see you too. <laughs> All right. And Nick, I hope your day gets better. <laughs> Thanks, Melanie. Have a great night. Take care. So I'm curious where the next big region is that's going to get acquired. Is it Paso? Is it Washington? Is it Oregon? Oregon, when I was up there, started getting acquired. So where's the where's the real estate at that people, these big companies want? I I don't know. Um, I was um, kind of fell into a tasting at a winery in the Hudson Valley 
that I followed somebody from Gallo. Like when I walked in, I missed him by like oh. 15 minutes. And I happened to know him. And, you know, I was just like, huh, that's kind of weird. That he's there. Yeah. That he was there. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, in terms of Paso, you know, we've had in two years, we've had three acquisitions, right? We've had Booker, Denner, and Dow. So, I mean, that's in two years, that's quite a bit of. So, let, let me ask you this. What happens in the future? Say 10 years from now, you're going to have four or five wine companies that own the majority of wines. What's that climate going to look like? Right. I mean, it's, it's, becomes a monopoly yeah you know it's it's like airlines right you've got united american you know yeah i mean you know what what does the climate look like and the pricing and the winemaking and the quality right you have all of the there's so many wine regulations already out there so i am not by far saying we need more regulation but like you there's regulations in other industries, you know, like hospitals, hospitals can't just keep consuming other hospitals. There's a monopoly clause, like hospitals can't get too big. There needs to be other ones, you know, there. So is that something that needs to be regulated? I don't know. But what are you regulating? Right. I mean, I don't, you know, you you can't regulate really the wine making because then everyone's going to be making the same wine. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But in, okay. So in 2021, there were 11,000 wineries in the U S. Okay. So that's a lot to gobble up. I mean, that's a lot of small family owned wineries. Um, Now, granted, if you look at the top 10 by volume, obviously it was Gallo. We haven't even talked about the wine group. They're number two. Um, Constellation, Chancaro, Delicato, Treasury, Bronco, St. Michelle, Jackson okay. Family Wines, and Deutsch oh, round out the top ten. Um, you know, Michelle, they range from, thing, huh? let's see, 4.3 million cases for Deutsch all the way up to 88 million for Gallo. Wow. That's a lot of wine. That's a lot of wine. So, yeah. I mean, but with 11,000 wineries, you know, I, I don't think we're – necessarily needing to worry yet but just you know interesting because you know back in the day you know you kind of like get to know a winery you get to know the people the owners it's a good warm fuzzy feeling and you know when it gets consumed by a larger entity that sweet warm fuzzy kind of goes off a little bit it goes away yeah Um, now, I still, I think I know the winery you're talking about. If it's about half a mile from uh, Yauntville Cross Road um, that that you belong to. Uh-huh. Yeah. I still get warm fuzzies when I go there, um, but I, I can understand why you would want to to drop them. Uh, yeah. It, it just but wasn't you, the same you for weren't, me. You, it wasn't the warm fuzzy. It was a, the wine itself had changed so much well no it was both no oh, no it was the warm oh, okay. it was oh. the it was the whole package it was the whole package and then the other thing is i mean not to say no but it, you could have just had a bad service person <laughs> yeah no it was the whole oh, oh, the whole, package. whole package i i don't know if there i mean i don't think i felt that we were going to solve the world's problems of of large wine companies tonight i just thought it was an interesting concept because like I said, <clears throat> there were eight acquisitions la- in last year and 11 in the first half of this year. So it seems to be happening at a much faster pace. And I just thought it was an interesting conversation. It, you know, it is very interesting. And I think, you know, Joe Q Public, when they reach for that bottle of wine, they don't know it's a Gallo brand. No. They don't know it's a Treasury Estate brand. They just know it's McMurray Vineyards, and they like this wine. And I think that's the difference between DTC and wholesale. Um, you know, we, we 
we get the warm fuzzies because we love going to the wineries. We love the story. You know, we're not necessarily the go to the grocery store and pick that bottle off the shelf. Um, and so you're right that the general consumer who doesn't come to wine country might not even notice or care about the change like we do. I care about it um, when a smaller company or a company like even Rombauer gets picked up by Gallo, because again, the, the financial resources that go along with that make my job even harder as a marketer, because what they're able to do mm-hmm. is, you know, a hundred times more than what I'm able to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I am not worried about it as a consumer necessarily. Um, None of my favorite wineries are getting eaten up, but um, from the marketing perspective, yeah. I mean, it kind of sucks when Dow gets treasury money and is going to blow up tenfold of what it already is. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that, that is true. A marketing budget, you know, I mean, my, my marketing budget is what I can do on Instagram and, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. Yeah, I've got the same marketing budget. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, and you're right, Nick, that's absolutely true. You know, they're already, you know, there some of these wineries are already blowing up the marketplace and marketing aspect, and now they're just getting more money to be able to do it more. You're going to, they're, you know, you're going to open every magazine and there's going to be an advertisement for this winery because the marketing money is there. Oh, that goes to another point. Who reads magazines anymore? <laughs> True. I mean, True. just think about it, you know? I mean, yeah, I get wine. I get wine spectator and stuff, but I don't get any other joyful magazine that I'm flipping through. Right. Well, I mean, can you actually watch TV and I'm not putting them down at all, but, can you ever watch TV and not have a Kim Crawford commercial come on? Exactly. No, not Kim Crawford. Yeah. 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 Kim Crawford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm like, no, even, <laughs> yeah. Even Apothic has a lot of commercials, mm-hmm. at I least on like Hulu. But I don't watch that much TV. But America does. America does. Yeah. And you yeah. see the same commercials yeah. you know, or the same brands over and over and over right. again, you know? I mean, it is what it is, I guess. But, yeah. I don't uh, see much Kim Crawford in the restaurant, so it must not be on the side of the country. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. I don't know. There, it's, it's every, the commercials are everywhere, and it's, oh, it's definitely targeting a very specific um, mm-hmm. you know, group. Demographic, yes. Yes, demographic. Thank you, Nick. I was like, uh, 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 I'll just say group. <laughs> yes. But Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming on. Oh, if great you, conversation. If you have any last topic that I know Deb's got, got Buffalo on, um, yeah, I hate to tell you you're losing. I know I'm losing. Um, I know but, I'm losing. Uh, <laughs> um, you have any last comments that you would like to share either about, you know, this concept or, um, you know, let people know where they can find you. Sure. I'm the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. You can find me at HudsonValleyWineGoddess.com. Um, that's really the best place to find me. Um, and I think, you know, if a winery gets absorbed by a larger entity, I think you got to also give it a chance in, in all fair, in all fairness, in fairness to the, the old owners and what drew you to that brand and to see if, the larger entity is going to still maintain that and have that same feeling before you make any decisions to drop a wine club or not pick up a bottle of wine because based on quality, you know, if the quality of the wine changes or the, you know, whatever. Nick? Sure. So people can find me at at wine Tom guy on Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me sometimes on Twitter. Um, and I would just echo what Debbie said. I, I think that was a really strong point is if you do have a fi- favorite wine company or a favorite winery that you've been going to that you're a member of, don't just assume that when a big company purchases it, that it's going to go downhill because some of the time they do buy it for that brand equity 
and to they want to keep that culture. So give it a try. If if it doesn't work out, there's always many, many, many more uh, family-owned wineries like Dracina that you become a member of. I love Dick. He always plugs me. <laughs> I, I'm waiting to be part of your succession plan. That's why. Oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Gary Everly and see how he's doing that. And um, I'll set that up for you. Okay. <laughs> um, Thank anyway, you. I think, want to thank you guys for coming on and spending your evening with me, sharing the information. Um, as for me, if you're watching this, then you already know how to find me. So there's no need to go over that. <laughs> so anyway, thank you guys. Have a great night. I appreciate your conversation and great seeing you or hearing you, Nick. Good seeing you guys. Thanks, Lori. Bye. See you, Debbie. Good seeing you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Turn right into wine so you and I can This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. I'm on Kevins for my 10,000 hotel, yo. There is always time for a good glass of wine. Right now.